Brethren, this is a Christian memorial worship service of praise, thanksgiving, and hope directed to our great and gracious triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and conducted in loving memory of John Cornelius Joe Van Pufflin, a choice servant of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Joe was born into the church militant January 14, 1945, and passed into the church triumphant on February 10, 2024. Joe was 79 years of age and had been a member of the Independent Presbyterian Church for 72 years. He was an officer of this congregation for over 40 years. On behalf of his wife of 56 years, Mary, his children, John, William, and Mary Catherine, his seven grandchildren, his sister, Naira, his brother, Jerry, his great-grandchildren, and many nieces and nephews, let me express gratitude to you all for honoring the life of Joe by your presence here today, even as we together seek the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the consolation of God's holy word and renew our hope of the certainty of the resurrection of the dead through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us worship Almighty God by carefully attending to the inspired words of the 121st Psalm. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Let's join together in singing hymn number 32 in your hymnal, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
Almighty God, you are the sovereign Lord of all the universe, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the governor of all things, the sustainer of all things, who upholds all things by his word of power. You are the God in whom we live and move and have our being, who gives us life and breath in all things, who declares the end from the beginning, who numbered our days, when as yet there was not one against whose will not even a sparrow falls from a tree, who ordains our health and our well-being and who ordains our adversities. You work all things after the counsel of your own will and all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. You have ordained whatsoever comes to pass. And knowing these things, O oh Lord, we pray that, that we might all find peace in the promise of your gospel. We pray that uh, particularly on uh, this occasion, that you would be our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. We plead that you would send your spirit to comfort. We pray that the promises of your word would console. We pray that your gospel would shine gloriously in this occasion that draws us all here together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That the word of God might console, we will read now together the inspired and inerrant word of the true and living God, our only rule of all matters of faith and practice. Uh, this is the 23rd Psalm that I'm about to read. It is the testimony of a believing heart. There are troubles in this world. There is the valley of the shadow of death, and yet a God who promises us that he will shepherd us through all the circumstances of life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul underscoring the certainty of the resurrection of the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put, up, uh, put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up 
in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7, printed for you in your bulletin. The Apostle John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his son. I will be his God, and he will be my son. And then the words of Jesus from John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever.
Join together now in singing hymn number 455. The third stanza, perhaps uh, no greater um, poetic statement of Christian conversion uh, ever written. And uh, then the fifth stanza, the certainty, the confidence, the assurance that we have in Christ as we ponder time and eternity, no condemnation, now I dread. 455.
Our text for this morning's consideration is Ezekiel 22:30, in which God, through Ezekiel, says, I searched for a man among them who would build up a wall and stand in the gap before me in the land who would build up a wall and stand in the gap. So as I look back over the last 37 years of being uh, Joe Van Puffin's pastor, when, when I arrived here, there was a gap in the wall. If you think about the church being surrounded by a wall that shields it from you know, the destructive forces that uh, would threaten its annihilation. Well, there was a gap in the wall. And I can think of no verse that better summarizes the role that uh, Joe has played in this church, certainly during my years here, is that he was an individual who was willing to stand in the gap when others were not willing to do so. Now, he had others along with him, but it's uh, true to say that uh, were it not for Joe Van Pufflin, I would not be preaching this message this morning because I would not be here. I would have been long gone. More than probably 35 years ago, I would have uh, vanished from Savannah and been off somewhere else because Joe stood in the gap uh, when there were few others with him. Uh, I was able to continue here. So this is a particularly difficult uh, sermon for me, or message to bring, because there's um, a level of inde indebtedness that I have uh, toward Joe, which is going to force me to abandon all objectivity and, and um, speak of Joe as though he were a saint, which we all know he wasn't. Uh, when Emily's father died, uh, they, um, one of the preachers uh, said about Jim Billings, Jim Billings was a sinner. And uh, people, some people who were not members of the church and didn't know any better, probably some other denomination, uh, didn't know any better, um, they were offended by it. The family was not. Uh, Jim Billings, Joe Van Pufflin, uh, the preacher who stands before you in the pulpit, we're sinners, saved by grace. Uh, in addition, Joe is a, one of the children of promise, to get the phrase exactly, Romans 9, 8, 1 Corinthians 14, 28. In other words, he's a child of the covenant, and in addition to that, a child of the manse. And I'm a, I'm a little sensitive about uh, children of the manse, and that I've got five of them, and that they have particular privileges as children of the manse, but they also have particular burdens that uh, they that they deal with in life um, to go along with the privileges that they enjoy. So Joe was not a perfect man. He was a man of great strengths and a man of, of great weaknesses. And it's just a reminder that God uses flawed individuals. You have a very timid Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night, lest others see that he was daring to even... Uh, meet with Jesus. And then you have the, the bold, impetuous Peter who's forever putting his foot in his mouth and having to be rebuked, corrected, and straightened out. Uh, nevertheless, Joe was exemplary in, in a number of ways that I want to point out as he stood in the gap again and again and again. 
Uh, not so much for me personally, but certainly the impact was directly upon me, but for the sake of the Church of Jesus Christ and beyond that, for the sake of the gospel. So I want to say a couple of things. One, he persisted with the church. He, he is exemplary in that he persisted in the life of the church. The, the church is not perfect. The church is full of sinners, redeemed sinners, sinners, saved sinners, but it's full of sinners. It's flawed. Joe was baptized uh, as an infant. He made his profession of faith here in this church when he was seven years old. And yet, as he looked back over his life, he believes he was not yet converted, uh, even though he made that profession of faith. In fact, there, there is an incident in which uh, Joe and his siblings were being disruptive in the pew. And his father was up here in the high pulpit preaching and stopped his sermon and said, Joe Neal, come up here. And then told Virginia to get in control of the children. Wouldn't have wanted to be at his house to hear the exchange that took place after that. But Joe came up into the pulpit and sat sat down for the remainder of the sermon and then incurred whatever of his father's wrath had he had coming. But the whole Joe Neal thing is another thing I have to comment on. It was very confusing to me, maybe to you too. Um, how is it that your name is John Cornelius? John's a perfectly fine name. You don't replace John. Nobody replaces John with some other name. John, John's a fine Why is it? Why do they call him Joe? Why, didn't, why weren't they satisfied with John? John's perfectly satisfactory. Um, well, the reason is, and I could have pointed this out to you last, a week ago Tuesday, as Hugh Helmley prayed for Joe Neal, which is what the older members of the church always called Joe, Joe Neal. Why they call him Joe Neal? Well, because that's what the family called him. Why was it Joe Neal? Because it was John Cornelius, shorted to Joe and Neal, and they put those two together, and over time, the Neil got dropped, and so he was Joe. That's how John Cornelius became Joe. I only got that straightened out last week when I went through the file and saw that there was a Christmas card in which Joe was listed as Joe Neal uh, that came from the family and, and was sent out to, to the church. So Joe was, uh, was flawed even as a child. His father died two weeks after his eighth birthday. His father was only 46 years of old. He'd only been the pastor here for two years. Uh, in his adult years, he, he moved to California. He was there for only a couple of years. As soon as he got there, he joined the Presbyterian Church. Came back to the Savannah in 1977, rejoined the Presbyterian Church, this one right here. Became a deacon in 1983 at the age of 37. Became an elder in 1983 at the age of 39. Peter Marshall, Jr. came and conducted what uh, we called the enrichment services. And uh, that's by Joe's own testimony was when he came to know Christ was at the age of 40. And that he had not, despite the fact he was made a deacon and made an elder, that he was not truly converted at that time, 
Joe was, uh, had great strengths and great weaknesses. Joe was, for example, he, wasn't, he never participated in any of our reading groups. He was not a book reader, was not a theologian, perfectly orthodox theologically, believed the Bible was inerrant, believed all the doctrines of, of the faith, all the doctrines of the Westminster Confession and the catechisms. Um, but the way he expressed it back then is that um, his conversion was marked by him forgiving God. So I pulled Joe aside and said, Joe, look, you didn't forgive God. Let's get this theologically straight. But you know what he, he meant. He had been angry with God all those years for taking his father away from him. And he had a real reckoning with it at that time where he re repented uh, uh, and dealt with his anger toward God and submitted to the will of God and turned to Christ in repentance and faith with a decisive finality and marked his conversion from that point on, which I would just want to point out to us. You can go to church and not be a Christian. You can be in the pew every Sunday. You can be the child of a pastor and not be converted. But because you have this discipline of church attendance and you persist in attending church, you are then in a position because of the ongoing ministry of the Word, to be converted at some point as God speaks to you and addresses you week after week, year after year. And so you will be in a position to stand in the gap when the day comes and God calls you to take up the, the cause of Christ. So he persisted with the church, particularly exemplary in that case, mind you, through years in which he was angry with God and, 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 and truly unconverted. Secondly, Joe was devoted to the church. Uh, when I came here in 1986 to candidate, um, Joe decided don't ask me why I was 31 years old, way too young, and Emily, poor dear, was only 20. Uh, but nevertheless, Joe decided I was the guy. And as his brother said at the graveside, when it came to Joe, whether at Savannah Marine Services or in the life of the church, either get on board or get out of the way, so Joe became my great defender. That's why I say I would not be in this pulpit, because he took all the slings and arrows of those early years here. He, 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 he was a shield for me insofar as he was capable of doing so. And so was, was able to preserve the, the ministry here under my leadership. Uh, you can be the judge whether or not that was the right or wrong thing to do. What, so this is really not about me. This is about Joe. I'm, what I'm saying is that Joe decided that this is the guy that's going to be the minister of this church, and so he was going to do everything he possibly could to see to it that I was going to stay. And that meant, with Joe and Mary together, just monumental generosity and kindness and sensitivity to our needs as a young couple and a in, a, in an old church. Joe was exemplary. 
in pouring his resources and his energies into the life of the church. So let me mention a number of ways in which he really set the tone over the last 37 years. Number one, for friendliness. Mr. Joe was known as the peppermint guy because he handed out peppermints every Sunday morning. Then one of the children choked on a peppermint, so then he became known as the Tootsie Roll guy. For years, that was what Joe did. Joe was eager for the church to grow, absolutely exemplary in that respect. The church service would be over. Joe would pop up and look around and find the visitors, and he would go to them. He wanted to make sure they, they received a friendly greeting. He wanted to make sure they were followed up on. He'd take them out. He and Mary would take them out to dinner and out to lunch. And he, I was a rush chairman when I was in college. Joe rushed the visitors to get them into, uh, you know, our little churchly fraternity here. Absolutely. I, th- I believe he set the tone of friendliness. People come to this church downtown. They're used to going to stuffy downtown churches, and they, they comment to this day. They, people comment all the time, virtually weekly, about the, their surprise at what a friendly church this is. I give Joe the credit for that. He set the tone from the very beginning. This church was going to grow, and he was going to see to it and do everything in his power to do it, and so he was just uh, as as friendly and outgoing and welcoming as he possibly could be so that people would come back uh, week in and week out. Secondly, he set the the bar for giving. I I don't think that we possibly could calculate the amount of money that that Joe and Mary gave over the years. Uh, And and so so there's one category, church, church budget, and, and special projects. But then there's this whole other category that I, don't even, I, don't, I only have a little sketch of. I don't know all that went out. People who were in need, that Joe would bail them out. Uh, he, he was, uh, there, there was an early year where we greatly expanded uh, the budget of the church because we were growing very rapidly and it was scary for the session. And basically what Joe did at the end of the year was just wrote a check to cover all, make sure we didn't have a deficit at the end of the year so that I wouldn't be attacked uh, uh, and criticized for, for the church spending too much money. So we had a balanced budget. How? Joe wrote checks. They set the bar for, for giving. He, he set the pattern for elder care, that is the care of the elders of the congregation. If one of the members of his care group went into the hospital, Joe would go from the yard across the river and head to the hospital. He was uh, exemplary in his... I used to say that uh, Joe was a better pastor than I was. I mean, I set that bar pretty low, but he, he was a better pastor than, than, than I was. His, uh, his uh, depth of concern and care for those who were sick and ailing and when children were born and he was, um, he was on the site before anyone else, following up, making, making sure. Uh, what, uh, what his mother used to say was that I was Ezra and Joe was Nehemiah. I was the priest who's preaching the word and Joe was the builder of the walls. There's a lot of truth in that, but it shortchanges Joe to say he was just a Nehemiah. 
very, very pastoral in his approach to being one of the elders of the church. Next, I want to mention that he uh, cast a vision when others didn't, didn't see what he saw. For a number of years, I called our Point Pleasant facility Point Unpleasant. I disliked it so much. I'm a California boy. I didn't want to go out there in that humidity and heat and gnats, and I hated it out there. But uh, he had a vision, and he was right. And eventually, we developed the facility, and you know, initially, we were meeting under the trees you know, in August. And, and, uh, but we developed, and, and it was Joe who persisted. He saw, he saw before I did the value of us lingering over dinner on Sunday nights out at Point Pleasant, and how, what a vital role that played in developing fellowship among believers. And so he, he didn't ever try to, th- try to thwart what I thought we ought to do, but he was very persistent, a bull in a china shop for what he was convinced ought to be done, and he proved to be right then. And that has played a vital role. We're a downtown church. People are commuting in from all over the place. We're scattered all over the city. How do we get together? What we do with Sunday night meals, and in particular, Sunday night services out at Point Pleasant, where people sit and linger as long as uh, the daylight is continues. And then next, he established the priority of care for the pastor's family. So there were, uh, there were moments when, you know, there were these low points, again, particularly the early years, and what, what we liken uh, Joe and Mary to is they would swoop in and they would snatch us up and take us somewhere. Like one time it was to Disney World. And there were, there were other occasions where they would just offer that little respite from the, you know, the, the tensions that develop in the church. Why? Because the church is imperfect, right? That was, you know, what we said at the outset. He persisted in the church. The church is imperfect. And so there were difficult times and he would just, he and Mary swoop in lavish us with attention and, and, and goodies and drop us off and vanish. But uh, very timely about this and their, their understanding that there are special, um, there just are, there are special concerns, special trials that pastors of churches and their families face. And I don't think everybody appreciates that. And I'm not bringing that to your attention for my sake. I'm bringing it to your attention so that you will understand. And in these ways, maybe determine in your own heart that you want to take, you know, stand in the gap for the whole ministry of the church in in these these ways that uh, Joe so faithfully did over the years. My, my debt, my family's debt to Joe and to Mary is massive. So point number one was he persisted with the church. Number two, he was devoted to the church. And number three, he was devoted to his family. Joe was a man of action. He was devoted to his family in his own way 
to Mary, the love of his life for their 56 years. He aspired to be a godly father and grandfather. His health uh, began to decline, hard to pinpoint exactly, 11 or 12 years ago. And uh, the deterioration was very gradual, very painful to watch, to see this, um, uh, this force of nature uh, reduced to just, uh, you know, the days before he died, just reduced to a, a skeleton. Um, and so it, it's a reminder that Joe's life was transformed. You know, in ni ni 1985, his life was transformed in the enrichment services of this church, altered the whole course of his life. All that energy was channeled then into the, the promoting of the, of the gospel. He was a, a new creature in Christ. The old had passed away. All things were becoming new. Um, but we experience redemption very imperfectly in this world, don't we? So we're all flawed. We all have feet of clay. And we all get sick and die. And to see uh, this man of action, this force of nature, this, this um, high energy... I think that's what one of our politicians would call him, a high-energy guy, to see him reduced to the bed, this withering away. Just a reminder, we're li we live in a fallen world. There's a curse upon this world. It's the curse of God, uh, from which there is deliverance only through the Savior of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Joe's decline is a, is a reminder uh, to look to the next world. There is life beyond the grave. Jesus promises that. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And the one who lives and believes in me shall never die. We were just reviewing this out of the graveside. Shall never die. D death is utterly transformed by Christ. It's, death becomes non-death. The sting has been pulled out of it. We go to this flawed world, to that perfect world, from the presence of each other and all of our flaws and frailties and liabilities and, and into the presence of Christ and his perfections. So that's why the Apostle Paul can say to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To depart and to be with him is far better than remaining here. That, that, that's the, the testimony of, of the people of God all through the centuries. And, and what we read earlier in Revelation 21, the sadness of, of Joe toward the end, the sadness of that is profound, but so also is the, the rejoicing in, in, the, in, in the promise that Christ himself will wipe away the tears from our eyes and death the cursed thing that it is, death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. Now's the time for mourning and crying. Now is painful, but th no more, not then. 
These former things will pass away. Behold, I am making all things new. So we look forward to that world and we look forward to reunion with our loved ones who have died in the Lord. We, we don't see finality in this occasion. We see a temporary separation that is sad in us, but it's not the end. This is not the end of the story. And so we look forward to the pro- gospel promises of the new heavens and the new, the new earth and to be in God's presence, which Psalm 16 says is the fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So in the meanwhile, all of those of us who remain, let's do as as I saw Joe do, within the framework of our own limitations, which are considerable. We acknowledge that. We have our limitations of one sort or another. Nevertheless, within that framework of our limitations, do all that we can to glorify God, to honor Christ, and to spread the gospel. I believe that's the example he set. With all his energy, all the resources that he had, while maintaining a business and caring for a family, he had no less to do than all the rest of us, probably more. Nevertheless, he threw himself into the work of the church, the spreading of the gospel so that sinners might be saved and saints might be sanctified. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, let us do all to the glory of God as we pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful Uh, for Joe's life and the impact that he made on countless people. We pray that your spirit would comfort those who mourn. We pray that your gospel promises will provide deep consolation. Let the truth that to live is Christ but to die is gain take deep root in our hearts. And we're thankful, O Lord, that we await an eternity in which, in Christ, there's no more suffering or pain or tears, but fullness of joy. And we pray that that we would remember the virtues that Joe displayed and that we would seek to follow his example insofar as it was good and to learn from his example where it fell short. And we pray that on this day, O Lord, that we all would be deeply sensible of the brevity and of the uncertainty of life and make peace with you, O God, through Christ Jesus. And we pray that in the weeks and months ahead that you might meet every need of the family 
during this time of loss. Hear us, O Lord, as we pray that prayer that you taught your disciples, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our concluding hymn is number 44 in your hymnals. Uh, these, uh, all those selections were favorites of Joe, including what uh, Catherine sang uh, earlier, what Sam played on the piano, uh, and the hymns that we've uh, sung all were favorites of his. Number 44, How Great Thou Art.
you are all invited to, for uh, light refreshments uh, back down the hall. Uh, I would like to ask that you not line up, but to just flood into the uh, fellowship hall. Uh, there will be no receiving line per se, but just mingling, and so mingle around. And let's get everybody in there, you know, as quickly as we can, so that you're not standing in the hall for an extended uh, period of time. Receive now the benediction. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.